0: Are you guys ready up there all right all right quiet on the set hi and welcome to the women in film and television ireland podcast my name is fiona Kinsella. i'm a producer at tile media and jumper productions and i'm also a women in film and television ireland board member Every year, Catalyst International Film Festival presents a programme that prioritises stories and storytellers currently underrepresented on screen and behind the camera. In this New Voices New Industry, recorded at this year's festival in March, filmmaker and Catalyst programme assistant Aisha Balaji moderates a panel of up-and-coming creatives within the Irish film industry. The lineup features actor Martin Mann, director Rahan Ali, writer-director Elizabeth Adosi, and director Nell Hensi.
1: Hi everyone, Uh, but hi, my name is Aisha and I'm the programme assistant for Catalyst this year and I will be moderating today's panel. So I'll just ask each of the panelists to introduce themselves and sort of what they do so we get lay of the land and then we can get into it.
2: Right, so my name is Martin Mahan. Um, I'm from Tralee, County Kerry. Um, I was born and raised there. Um, I'm an actor uh, and I'm also a muscle writer. Um, so I would say I started getting involved in acting probably from a young age. I was lucky enough to be in Tralee, so we have a beautiful theater there called Shim Satira, one of the best national folk theaters in the country. And they ran a facility youth program called the Free Radicals Youth Theater, which is a long story short, I think from ages of 15 to 25 on every Saturday, and you would learn all the basics that you would probably be learning at university level, performance art, we were learning it there every Saturday. And they would drill us for an entire year, and we would learn how to perform, how to write, how to act, and we would do three shows a year, in the Christmas time, in the spring, and we would do, always do a summer finale. So I stayed with them for about three or four years, under the direction of Neil Flynn and Jerry Fitzgerald, uh, two, two pretty successful directors. Um, and from that then, I breached and got involved in the Kerry School of Music, which I was also lucky enough to be a student of. Um, and with that I got involved in doing musicals under the Light Opera Society of Tralee, which was an organization in Kerry at the time. And we ran uh, Chicago, we did Annie, we did Into the Woods. We did all different types of musicals through the years. <clears throat> and um, from then I got involved in with the Gate School of Acting. Uh, I was lucky enough to be cast in an RT production, uh, John Connor's Acting Academy just going back about 18 months ago, um, which I was very fortunate to be a part of, coming from a travelling background myself. John was a huge figure to myself of inspiration and of hope and of someone to, from his background and from him being so vocally about the travelling community and to have a good public figure for once breaking through the industry. And for him to go on to win the BAFTA for Best Actor, for me, really broke down the walls. Like, I lost my mind in a good way. When I seen him win it, I'm like, oh my God. And then to see him not being able to get an agent after that, even though he still won the award really inspired me but also it burned a fire in me to kind of i need to stand up i want to be like john john really was an inspiration for myself so when the opportunity came up to be involved with john in the show it was like a dream come true genuinely like fish out of water you meet your hero kind of stuff this is what it was and we facilitated it in maynooth which was a big castle in, in westmead and we did a five-day workshop thing with jim sheridan we had the love hate director down there Stuart Carlin we had a video chat with Colin farrell so it was pretty epic stuff. Like We were basically just thrown into it. And there was people from all over Ireland selected. We had a people guy from Cork. We had a lady from Dublin. We had another lady from Waterford. It was all up-and-coming actors. I would inspire it kind of like X Factor, but for acting, if that makes any sense. Uh, that's what it was. So we were grilled every day in a five-day kind of workshop, intense performance in front of camera, how to write, how to learn set, everything. And it really, really broke down the boundaries, but it also kind of tested you to kind of see if you're made out for this industry or not, if that makes any sense. You really kind of kind of think, okay, you're here. Do I want this or not? It really kind of made you think. Um, So from there then, I got involved into doing a show called Ireland, which is where I came across Aisha, And it was a powerful piece because, as I said, I'm from the traveling community, so getting involved in activism was something I wanted to do on a very important scale because... It's something that's very personal to myself and it's also a national thing now but no matter how many times you encounter racism or discrimination no matter how many times you hear it there's always one story that will always remind you that it can still be something new so I grew up uh, like thinking that there was no availability for actors we had maybe Michael Collins from Row, if anyone can remember that show he was the only Irish uh, traveller actor that was appearing on any kind of RTE or TV tree since the 90s, so when John came through and broke down that boundary, it really opened the door for many traveller actors and actors from that kind of background, so I wanted to get involved in it really importantly, um, so I got involved locally in the Kerry Travellers, which is a local constituency down there, and they kind of cover the local areas for, for all the travelling people there, so I got involved in that on a local level um, for about one or two years doing local events, then locally got promoted to vice chairman, which I am that position at the minute. And we run a lot of workshops, we run a lot of stuff helping kids get involved in schools, helping them kind of get involved in sports and different kind of activities. So that's what we're doing at the minute. Um, From that then I was lucky enough to get involved in the Gaty School of Acting, which I'm a student at the minute. Just about to finish up my first term of a two-year course. Very, very intense, I'd have to say. Very, very powerful. Um, As I said, a really kind of intense step back. If you're kind of made for this industry or not, it will test you and you will work on it and be pursued on it there. As I said, I had goals to continue doing um, activism and human rights, which I appeared on the Claire Byrne show last year, which was a very monumental piece for myself, because it was the first time that we had all traveler people and traveler activists speaking on a live nation for the very first time. So it was a really groundbreaking moment last year. And from that, that led myself to get involved in the Gati which I'm a current student at the minute, as I said. Um, also, I'm, I have a one-man show. As I said, I was inspired by John's one-man show, Ireland's Call. So I have something similar myself because mental health and suicide is a thing that was a very important, very sensitive issue in our community for a long time. And we lost a lot of people over it, and it was not rightly spoke about, not rightly medialized or not properly advertised what was happening to us and facilities and mental health people that wouldn't touch us, that wouldn't get them to the contacts. So I wanted to continue that on a powerful scale. So I was lucky enough to do a TED Talk last year about this as well. Um, and I called it Needs of the Few, because I think it was an important message for only certain people that needed to hear it. Um, so that was a big success. At the minute, I'm hoping to take my one-man show, Prisoner, on tour, um, which is about mental health and suicide and being so caught up and so locked up in your own mind and your own oppression, you get you get caught up and a prisoner of your world around you. So it's an important piece um, that I'm hoping to take on tour at the minute. But, yeah, that's it for now.
1: Thank you so much, Martin. And like, I'll probably come back to like a lot of what you said later on. Nell, if you could give us a wee introduction.
3: Yeah, uh, my name's Nell Hensy. Uh, I'm a writer-director from County Clare. Um, I got into filmmaking, I'd say around T.Y. Uh, I started out directing uh, stop-motion at- animation, actually. Um, but uh, went to college in UCD, did English and film. Which is a very kind of academic course, but um, I've always enjoyed storytelling, and um, but never in in a similar uh, position as you. I think that like never had role models that looked like me or uh, came from the same place as me. So I was always I knew I loved film and TV, but I really set out to like uh, train myself for a job that would make money. So I kind of thought I'd be like a, a production accountant or a script supervisor or something like that um but I always enjoyed writing so I was always writing on the side and then um did a master's in producing as well which was kind of a very business heavy um side of filmmaking again with the idea of like it'll make me more employable but it wasn't really what I wanted to do wasn't what brought me happiness so um after through that master's we developed uh, a I, I wrote a, a tv series and and um, we pitched that uh, at the end of the year and the producer picked it up. And it was like the first time I think that I was validated as a storyteller. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do this and um, kind of gave me more faith in my own kind of stories and my own kind of um, sense of storytelling. And yeah, so I kind of started balancing writing and directing uh, with kind of uh the smaller jobs but like trying to get a sense of the industry more so so I was a production trainee I did uh, I was a assistant to a showrunner I was a writer's room assistant all these kind of like entry-level positions while at the same time making my own stuff so uh yeah I wrote a bunch of short films uh when I went to find directors for it I I love writing from a very personal place so uh I couldn't really find any directors that uh, could relate to some of my experiences, so I was kind of like, "Fuck it, I'll do it, I'll try it myself. So uh, I directed my first short uh, in 2021 with uh, The Engine Short Scheme, uh, based here in Limerick with Film Limerick, um, and yeah, made that short, and then have made two other shorts since, so one with the Arts Council of Ireland, and one with Screen Ireland and Virgin Media, which is on the player now, uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. Stunning. Thank
1: you so much, Del. Uh, Elizabeth?
4: Hi. Yeah, so my name is Elizabeth. Um and I'm a writer and a director and I suppose if we're getting into like how we got into this area, I think it's always been um it's always been something creative for me, like when I was growing up. Even I didn't even know what it was yet, but I would tell my mom, oh, I want to be a director. I had no idea what that was. Or the next day it would be like something to do with the fashion industry or to be a writer. So it's always been sort of in that area, even though I didn't really think it was accessible. These were just kind of like things that I would say. Um, and then kind of like throughout college, throughout secondary school, I was really, really interested in English, lots of creative writing, and that was kind of like my bag. And it seemed so inaccessible to be like, oh, at that age to be like, oh, okay, I want to be a writer. So I was like, I'll do film instead, <laughs> which is insane. So I got a chance to do um, work experience, and during my work experience I worked for this small production company, not small, this production company um, called Jumper Productions that did short films and advertisements and stuff like that, and I kind of got into the production side of things, sort of seeing how... Um, I was able to read, like, scripts that sort of came in and give my thoughts on it. And then from there, seeing the pre-production side, how these stories sort of, like, came to life and just everything that it took to make this um, thing on a page sort of, like, come to life. And I fell in love with that. So then after that, I did a, um, a PLC in film and television. i just graduated from film and broadcasting in TU Dublin, um, where I did my final year film, No Signal, which is actually screening um, tomorrow, I believe, in part of the Shorts Festival. Um, but, yeah, I've always just loved writing. I've always been really um, inspired by really personal stories, like very character-based stories, and that's something that I love to to watch and that I love to make and something that I kind of base my um, writing around as well. And I suppose it's, it's so... Um, humbling, being on a panel with people that have done that I have done and are doing so much. When I feel like mine, kind of just coming out and doing all those things, like writing the scripts, shipping them out to, um, trying to get bursaries and stuff like that. So that's my, that's been my journey so far. And since I've been doing sort of researching and writing auto cue um, for Virgin Media, um, and yeah, that's kind of me. At
1: the moment. Thank you, Elizabeth and Rehan. You're gonna do our last introduction.
5: Pressure's on. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> bad luck to me. Um, yeah, so my name is Rehan Ali. I grew up in direct provision. I spent 10 and a half years in direct provision. And it was while in direct provision that I kind of fell in love with writing. And then that kind of became a love affair with film because it was an escape. But like for people like me, there weren't that many avenues, especially because I grew up in Carrick on Shore County Tipperary. So it's a pretty small town. So when you're trying to get into film, there really isn't any avenues, especially for a young person in direct provision. So together with the local arts collective, I decided to find a amateur film studio. And through that film studio, I got to finally write, direct, edit, produce. I did everything on so many different short films, full feature films, web series. And we had actors that were all local actors. We had Everyone that was working in cast and crew they were volunteering their time to make this happen so you know that's really where the the idea that I could become a writer and a filmmaker kind of came to me because. You know, I was part of this community and we were all working together to make things happen, and they did. And then we had two local theaters in Caraconshore where we would have these premieres and they'd be house full because everyone who's in the town basically had something to do with the film. So you were guaranteed a house full, which was the best, best part of making these films. Um, and that really inspired me to kind of go on. But like was mentioned before, I did also want to think practically uh, in terms of you know how could I survive in this industry uh, because the, those avenues are rare, if at all, existent. So I decided to you know focus on science because I do love science. So when I was doing my bachelor's in neuroscience at UCC, in my final year of neuroscience, this opportunity came up to do the Putnam Scholarship, which was Lord Putnam, David Putnam. Uh, essentially teaching us about filmmaking and storytelling. So I applied for that, thinking that, you know, as a neuroscience student, am I probably going to get in? No. But I thankfully did. And so I got this amazing opportunity to learn about filmmaking right from David Putnam, someone I admire. So that really put me back on track about thinking about, you know, I can I can do film and I can do science. I can do both. Um, and so near the end of my year, uh, final year in science, I uh, tried to apply for this Virgin Media Discoveries Award because I had a script in mind for a short film. And again, I thought, and you know, what are the chances I'll get it? Uh, thankfully, I got shortlisted. And then eventually, once I pitched it to a panel uh, consisting of people like Lenny Abramson and uh, Lisa McGee, um, I, was, I, I was one of the winners. So I finally got to direct a film. For, for me, it, it was really my debut film as a professional filmmaker. And, um, you know, it just, it definitely was a life-changing experience for me because I've never had something so, um, something that really cemented me as, as as someone in this industry. And the film was based slightly about my own experiences. And so the coolest thing was I got to take this entire crew and cast of incredible artists back to the town I grew up in, in Carrick, I'm sure, County Tipperary, so we could shoot on location and for me, representation is so extremely important. Mm-hmm. So the main actor for that film was a non-actor. And when this person auditioned, I came to the realization that I grew up with this kid. And so we both grew up in the same situation. And now he was, he was uh, auditioning for the main role in this short film. And it just kind of struck me that, you know, this is exactly why I want to do what I'm doing. Uh, to be able to not only get these opportunities for myself, but to be able to share them with, with people like him. And so thankfully, I had to fight with the producers a lot, but we finally got him to be the main actor, and I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, so yeah, that was, that was Water Under the Bridge. Um, and then I also co-wrote Haven, which is on tomorrow, I believe, uh, with Mo O'Connell directing and Ivan Cush uh, as my co-writer, um, which is um, a story about uh, survivors, sp- specifically a survivor of uh, mother and, uh, and baby home institutions. And it also interlinks, again, with... Um, someone in direct provision a young girl uh, and i think this is such an important uh, story because something i came to realize is the hostel i grew up in used to be a convent is to be a mother and baby home institution so not only are these injustices still happening but they're happening in the same buildings uh you know you you had that and then, then you had direct provision and it seems like history is kind of repeating itself in some ways and we're not learning a lot um, and you don't have to look too, too far. They're literally happening in the same building. So I, I would re- highly recommend you go watch that tomorrow. It's a, It was such a pleasure to be a part of. And most recently, I got a bursary from Create Ireland, uh, which allows me to kind of expand on Water Under the Bridge uh, because you know the most important aspect of the film was connecting with, with someone I, I grew up with and sharing that opportunity. So what I want to do now and what I'm using the bursary to do now is connecting with other people, young people who grew up in direct provision and together being able to create some sort of a story because to me it's important that we control our own narratives and to be able to present and portray ourselves within media um, and to have that power. So through that breastfeed, I'm connecting with people around the country who grew, who grew up in direct provision and together we're hoping... Um, you know, piece by piece, we come up with some sort of a story for a full feature, perhaps something that expands on water under the bridge that we would have in a way collectively written. And so we would have been in control of our own voices in that way. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing right now.
1: That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Honestly, I'm really excited to see what you all do in the future. So sort of like following off of that point of sort of like having that narrative, being from underrepresented communities, all of us, <laughs> in the film industry, what kind of stories do you want to tell? Elizabeth, I might start with you.
4: Um, I think, for me, it's really important. Well, the stories that we have today are usually sort of kind of like trauma-based, and that's fine. Those stories are, those stories are so important. Um, it's important for other people to see that, but I also feel like, there's just this gap where it's like we don't get to be people um, that have highs, that have lows, that you know experience things other than that as well. So what I would really, really love um, to see and hopefully be a part of is just having a network, having a film industry that champions that as well, where it's not always kind of like these stories that tell you just the really horrific parts of being part of a part of an ethnic group where, again, that is so important and it's needed because people do need to know that, but it also just allows us to be free and to explore things that everyone else gets to explore and be things that everyone gets to be, and to be a rom-com, to be a superhero, to be, you know, just outside of that box. That's what I'm really hoping to see.
1: Yeah, so Nell, what about you? So what kind of stories do you want to see or do you want to tell?
3: Yeah, I, I find myself drawn to uh, stories about uh, outsiders a lot, um, and it's not—it's never really tied down to like one specific facet. Like, um, I'm I'm mixed race and um, from a rural background, and it's kind of—I think being someone who's always felt like an outsider is just something. It's a theme I naturally uh, am interested in. But um, I think what's going, going off your point, like, it's—I think it's, seeing an industry that has not only diverse voices for the sake of like diversity as a buzzword but more so like um as you said as well like people controlling their their own narrative so um like the the film i just did um good chips is was the first uh film in irish cinema to depict uh, the vietnamese community um now i'm not vietnamese i'm i'm half filipino but um Aisha and I were actually part of a a group called Weft Studio, which was uh, run by the Dublin Fringe Festival, and it supports POC artists uh, in the creation of new work. And it was through this group uh, that I not only met Aisha, but I also met uh, my co-writer, Bridget Leahy, who is Irish-Vietnamese. And so I had this idea for a short film set in the 80s uh, about this young Vietnamese girl who runs a a Chinese uh, chipper van, because Irish people can't tell the difference. And... uh, uh, who meets this Irish boy and they kind of have this friendship. But uh, I, I knew, even though I, I came up with the story initially, I just knew I didn't have enough of the life experience um, to to make it authentically. And so it was really important to have someone in the room who could really um, control their narrative and it's about their people. So um, it's... Not only am I drawn to stories that, uh, that are about... Um, people who haven't been shown on screen before I'm really excited by stories that allow me to work with those people as well and like give them an opportunity to tell their story as well
1: yeah so sort of going off of that point like that thing of like who gets to tell our stories like Martin for you like do you find yourself like finding it okay that, like, let's say, settled people are telling traveller stories, whether it's like with or without them. So what's your sort of viewpoint on
2: that? Um, well, personally, on, on that viewpoint, um, mm-hmm. and it was something that was brought up recently at Miss Lore, which is a traveller-run festival in Galway, and it was of high debate on that, and I was on a panel there. I think, personally, I have no issue with it, but I would think that it needs to be done in the right way. If someone from the community is going to make a traveller short movie or make a documentary some some traveller of some sort should be involved in the producing or in the editing, and just so they can get a proper way of it being put out there. Because I just think any community that's going to be showcased in a proper way needs it to be showcased in the proper way, and you can get information as much as you can from outside sources, but the originality, that story of what it's like being that person, wearing that tag in the community, wearing that in the world, and being that person and being voiced and being proud to be that person in the culture and in the world brings with it a lot of if and brings with it a lot of good and bad with it that some people need to prepare to take that if you're willing to step into the the public eye with it you need to understand you're going to face some skepticism and stereotypes along the way but I don't have an issue with it some traveling people do I'm not going to lie, some filmmakers wouldn't be a fan of people making it if it wasn't from the community. I'm not one of them, but I just would think that they should have their inclusion on a production level on a, or even on a directing level, or if it's a short, let a, a, a professional screenwriter from the community have a look at it and just give it their overall opinion and maybe just to okay it, yeah. just on that point, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, like, Rehan, for you, I was like, we have to pass the mic all the way back. (laughs) Um, But, Rehan, for you, just, like, I know you've sort of been working a lot with your lived experience, like, with direct provision and with the stories you're sort of aiming to tell and stuff. Like, just, like, emotionally, how do you find, like, going through that process as well? Because I know it's probably, like, a journey as a writer to sort of bring yourself to that place and then tell that story and bring it to an audience and, like, go through the whole production company aspect and things like that. So how has that been...
5: It's been difficult. Um, it's difficult to to express things when, you know, people from the outside sometimes just, you know, it's going to be inevitably hard to understand that lived experience. So it's it's difficult not only to, you know, dig in deep and write about those experiences, but then have this expectation that, oh, people will understand it. Because a lot of times they, they won't. No matter how much you try and eloquently express those those feelings it's just so difficult. So you kind of have to put that on the back burner and just be an artist and just tell your stories. But you know, when we talked about uh, people, contr- you know, people who aren't part of, say, who haven't had those lived experiences uh, making uh, films and stuff, um, I also don't have a problem with that. All I would say is, as a filmmaker, if you're trying to authentically uh, present a community or a person from a community, it is inevitable that you're going to cross paths during the research phase or during the development of the film in any way. You are inevitably going to have to, if you're trying to make an authentic film, cross paths with someone from that community. So it, this idea that um, a person can make a film while not having those experiences, they absolutely can. But it's, it's inevitable that you're going to come across those people. So for me, diversity or inclusion doesn't have to be forced. In fact, it just needs to be accepted because I feel like this, there, there's this new concept that, oh, everyone's trying to force diversity, when I don't think that's the case. It, for so long, people have been trying to avoid at every cost diversity. And so if you're trying to make a film about a person of color, uh, you absolutely, you can write it, you can direct it, but if you're trying to make an authentic film, if, if you respect yourself as a writer, as a filmmaker, it's inevitable that you're going to come across people of color or people who have, exper- have those experiences and try and learn from them and try and include them so that you make a better film. So if you care about your work uh, and you're trying to tell a, a film that is inherently diverse, it is inevitable that you are going to, if you care about your work, come across those people and work with those people. So um, so that's what I think. I, I think diversity, when it comes to those kinds of stories, has been avoided forcefully. Uh, it's not that it's now being forced. It's just now it's being more widely accepted. So so that's my, po- my viewpoint on that.
1: Thank you so much. And, like, sort of on that, like, that thing of, like, sort of picking the right people and like surrounding yourself with the right people. I think that's something that goes like is very underestimated especially for like young like just young underrepresented people going into film because like for a lot of us we don't really have a big community. So like Elizabeth for you, how do you go about finding the right people and like finding the right community?
4: Um well, f- honestly for a long time I didn't. I didn't think that I could. Yeah. Um and it's Funny and also kind of ridiculous, being that I live in a house with two black male actors. Um, but you know, going through college and writing films and making the films, it would always be like you'd put up a casting call, and even if you didn't put um, even if you didn't put like specifics on like you know the actors that you wanted or anything like that, there would be a certain profile of person that would come for it. You'd be like, okay, well that's all I have to pick from, um, and so and not to say it's bad that's all I have to pick from and so you just kind of like go with it and so it kind of made me think that I couldn't create stories or write stories that um felt more more personal to me or that I had the sort that with characters from the kind of background that I came from and then I guess just from growing and sort of like coming more to terms like with myself and accepting myself more I was kind of like no like this is something that I really really want to do if I'm a person in this industry, and I want to make a difference, and I want my work to reflect, you know, my not my lived experience, yes, and, like, the lived experience of people that I love and know around me as well, then I do need to be kind of really, um, not forceful, but I need to have certain things in place where it's, like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to um, forfeit this for anything. Like, if it t- if it means casting for way longer than I need to, if it means calling every single agency that I possibly can, if it means um, jumping through hoops and holes, like I do, like this is something that I really care about. So, that's something that I went through um, casting and doing my last film um, my f- my film No Signal for college. It was the first time I got to work with. Actors of color in any way, and that was a really that was a really great experience for me because for so long it felt like it was something that wasn't possible to do here, and and just being in a room with people who I, I suppose kind of like looked like me, and people who in some ways had some certain similar backgrounds to me, it was a really kind of like affirming moment, and um, to be like oh like the, we are here and there's so many of us there's so much talent, um, that isn't being I guess, showcase the degree that it that it um, could be and to be part of getting that out there was really amazing. So I think it's just been... P- my process has just been going from not thinking it was there before to making sure that, like, I'm doing the work, you know? Because I feel like people it's really easy to be like, ah, well, I tried this and I tried that and it's not out there, but it, sometimes it just takes a little bit more effort to find those people and... Um, and yeah, that's been my experience.
1: Yeah, so just on casting. Now, how did you find casting Good Chips, actually? It's very well cast, by the way. Thank you.
3: Uh, yeah, Good Chips as a whole experience. So um, we, I always work with the casting director, uh, Anya Sullivan, who's from Limerick, actually. And uh, we, we met through the engine scheme. Um, and Anya, what's great about Anya is she's willing to go above and beyond just your typical um, agencies and stuff and look for talent that hasn't, been found yet or you know roles haven't been made for people so you know it's it's not the most welcoming place I think with, with casting especially because actors are so at the mercy of what roles are out there you know they're only limited to that so um with Anya we, we actually uh, similarly with uh Try and Touch the one we did with Limerick we had to cast uh, a wheelchair user and that was a really hard um Really hard experience to find, and like we I, I think um you really need to meet people where they are and going to agencies beyond what's in the industry, so like we went to a lot of wheelchair association industries and things like that and um, did number casting calls and we eventually found uh, an actor called Sarah Curley who was the most she just shines on screen the the film's screening uh, tomorrow as well tomorrow morning at nine um and so I, I knew I had faith in Anya that she could find uh, actors uh, or first-time actors um, who could really deliver, like not, not just saying that, like, "Oh, you were very good because you're a wheelchair." You, like Cirque is a very good actor. She's been in several plays now, won awards, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's really exciting then to, to have new roles to find. And so with good chips, we had kids. Um, we had a, a, the main character is an 11- year- old Vietnamese girl called Tam. Um, we also had an 11-year-old boy who's Irish um, and then Tam's parents, so these two Vietnamese um, parents. And we ha- we put out a casting call to the UK, to Germany. We got tapes in from all these Vietnamese actors. And Bridget, my co-writer, who is Irish-Vietnamese, um, we really struggled to find a lot of people who were already um, established and had agents and stuff. You know, that's a whole thing as well. But... Um, Bridget just didn't feel like any of the male actors, especially, were the character. And, it was, you know, representation representation and authenticity was so important to us for this project. So we kind of left it for a while, and then we were doing research for the film anyways. And the film's about this group of Vietnamese people who came over from... They were refugees of the Vietnam War in 1979, um, and... We interviewed, uh, one of them runs a now runs a Vietnamese restaurant on Capel Street in Dublin. So we went to interview him, and um, our waiter, Joe, was, uh, we were just chatting to him about the film. Like, he's never done film before, no, like, no idea. Like, he's been working in his father-in-law's restaurant since ever. And he was like, I'm really interested to send in a tape. And we were like, sure, send in the tape. We uh, gave him the script, and his tape, even though he's never acted before, just stood out like a mile. Like, you just know. Um, And he was... He just gave the most amazing performance. And, yeah, it was really... I think really important to him as well because he was saying... We had the premiere there at DIFF uh, in February, and he was saying how important it was for his sons to see him doing something that wasn't... It was the first thing he'd ever done that was for himself, you know, because he's been working in his family uh, restaurant for so long, and now he's getting an agent now he's you know starting acting and it's really i think that's the most rewarding thing about making films for me is like giving people yeah just telling new stories and and bringing in new people is is really exciting
1: no that's really exciting it's sort of that thing of like getting a foot in the door so you can bring in as many people as you can like that's really great and like that's such a, sorry, I just love that casting story. It's just really lovely. And um, so, Martin, for you, like as an actor, as a resident actor on the panel, uh, how do you find like going to castings and things like that? Like from being from the travelling community, have you ever faced anything like discriminatory or like sort of feel like you're put in a box?
2: Um, to be honest with you, and I'm going to be 100% honest, this is one of the industries when I got into it in the last two or three years. But probably because of the work that's been laid down by John and as other people that I mentioned, they are a lot more friendly now. Like there are a lot more, like even on the, the Connors Academy show like Maureen Hughes came down and did a one-on-one session with us and she is the number one casting director in the country like that woman if you meet with her she's she will get you places so she came down and we had another traveler actor in the show as well so you know personally in the last couple of years since I've been involved they're very very more kind of appeasing because there's a lot more documentaries being made now there's a lot more people from the community in a public eye in a positive way in different areas, in music, in sport as well. Savannah McCarty going to the World Cup as well this year. I'm really, really proud of her. Um, so we are being like, meteorized in a positive light. So when there's a production being made or there's a casting call, it doesn't really label the traveler anymore. Or they not, traveler actors are not being typecast and being called only for traveler shorts or traveler extras. They're being put forward for stuff. There's two boys in Dublin who I'm gonna give a mention, Josh O'Donoghue mm-hmm. and Ethan O'Donoghue and they're a filmmaking team. You think you come across them, so they are just like a, they are just a powerhouse. They are making shorts all the time. They're putting them up to film festivals, and they're giving actors in Dublin their own chance to be involved with them as well. So people like that, going forward, I think because like, it's a very powerful way of portraying the industry, but you just have to be very careful about it. Like, for example, the stories that I would like to be a part of and like to write is ones that, if I'm talking about the community, it's about what the community is. It's in my own personal opinion, like the whole machines and all that kind of rural iron stuff really comes from travellers and really comes from the culture and the original storytellers and the original music makers are all formed. We are part of the Irish culture in a way. And so if I'm going to be making a story or a movie or a play about it, it's going to be about the passion of that, not just about the racism. I'm in the process of writing a, a short movie about a deaf traveller boy. Um, so it's called Civil War because it's about his family... And inside the community, you see some families that are being looked down upon by other families because they're jealous of their success. And you have an old issue then of some people are afraid to come forward because then they get backlash from other people saying, well, why am I not in that position? And they're all only going forward for the sake of the community, but it's put in a different way. So when I'm writing this movie, it's about a traveler boy who's deaf, and it's about his family are being alienated in the community by other traveling people. And his brother and his sister are bullied and everything like that. So it's a powerful piece. Um, and those are the kind of pieces I want to show. Like It's not just about the mental health and the touching on that, but it's the core of victory. It's about getting past that. It's about dealing with it. It's about accepting it. It's about accepting it, moving forward with it, about victory. Always the time conquering, moving forward, never playing the victim either. We know well who we are and our place in the land. But we want to move forward. We want to be accepted as artists or as performers or as builders or as this not just as traveler this we just want to be accepted as ordinary people yeah. so those are the stories i want to tell powerful but emotional but just acceptance as the lad said it doesn't have to always be heartbreak it can be just a simple story of a positive day with a yeah. family really it doesn't beautiful. have to be negative always yeah Thank that's you. good
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's really beautiful honestly like so Rihan, for you sort of what what like
5: stories or things or just anything that inspires you as a writer Um, So I recently wrote a piece that hopefully is going to get published in uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, United States. Um, They said it was going to get published in a book called Latin Currents 2 in 2022, but it got got held up because of COVID-19, but hopefully it'll get published soon. But essentially what it was was a piece about all the children I grew up with, because with the the kind of lifestyle I had, uh, because I was a resident in this hostel for, uh, for the whole ten and a half years. So I, I I didn't move around much. So But what did happen is children would come and go. So a huge privilege I had, you know, the, the silver lining to that, was that I kind of had a best friend from pretty much every continent because they would come, I would form a relationship with them, and you'd spend, you know, being in that place, you'd spend all day with them. You'd have lunch together, you'd have dinner together, you'd do your homework together. And so, you, you know, you become family, and then one day you wake up, and you see that their room is empty and they've, they've gone. And you hope that they've gone because it's good news and not bad news, but you never know. Especially as a child, because you barely understand anything. But it's heartbreak. But you know, it was a huge privilege to grow up with children from all over the place. I had a best friend from Nigeria, from Kenya, from Iraq, from Afghanistan. And so I learned so much about their culture. I learned so much about their language, the music they 'll listen to you know you walk down a, a hallway you 'll hear music and sounds from all different parts of the world you 'll hear uh, you uh, smell scents from all different parts of the world so it was a, it was a it felt like it was a little world within that hostel so for that i 'm actually extremely grateful uh, and I think it 's made me the the artist that I am today and the writer that I am today and so um, the piece that I wrote for the for the book was uh, about essentially all those children and, you know, how they've inspired me into into the writer that I am. And I think, um, like everyone said so far, to, to write stories uh, that aren't just about heartbreak, because another thing is, especially, I can only talk about my own experience as someone who grew up in direct provision, a, a lot of people might look at those residents and, and just see them as a monolithic group who have, you know, who are struggling, but they have the same struggles when that's not true. Everyone is extremely unique. Everyone is an individual. And that's, you know, that, that's the experience I had growing up and looking at all these people, surrounded by them. So for me, it's extremely important to kind of hone in on that individual experience and those individual struggles and to treat them and respect them for how unique that they are. Um, so it, it's about, I guess, capturing that and it's capturing that essence uh, of, of my childhood for, as I said, I really acknowledge it as a silver lining for which I'm extremely grateful um, because I definitely, I don't think I'd be here today and I I wouldn't be the writer and the filmmaker that I am without those experiences. So those are the things that inspire me most.
1: Thank you. That's really cool. I think that thing of like, especially going back to childhood especially like i know for me like even being creative i always look to things in my past or like look to things that i loved as a kid as well so like elizabeth for you is there anything like that you look back in your childhood that you think wow that really made me the artist i am right now um
4: i think looking back to childhood kind of similarly i like my mom moved here with me and her tummy like when she was like a month before she gave birth to me and she was really lucky enough to find like a community of people that were quite similar to her. Like she came and we lived in Dundalk and there was a lot of people coming in at the time and we also sort of just moved around a lot. So it's that thin of like getting to meet these people for these really fleeting moments and these re- like really fleeting amount of times and like the impact that they have in your life. I know like aunties and uncles that like would have taken care of me while my mom was like working two, three jobs um, not seeing her that much and then you suddenly like, she would do this thing where we would just move (laughs) and we wouldn't know that we were um, going to a new place and she would have done that for her own reasons but just looking back and sort of remembering those people then I don't know where they are now but kind of just like imagining what they could be doing and where that like just imagining what their stories are like and what's happening with them and just the impact that they've had And they probably don't even remember, you know, I'm, like, a small kid. Um, So that's one thing. And then I guess just in general and sort of, like, inspiration, just sort of, like, keeping myself open um, to other art, to, like, go into galleries, reading. I find that when I'm not, like, consuming, like, other things, I just feel, like, almost not dead, that's really exaggerated, but, like, (laughs) I'm I'm very much alive. But, like, I just, like, keeping yourself open to, like, other people's art as well is really
1: inspiring for me. So, Nell, what about you? What are your inspirations as an artist?
3: Um, I think if we're talking about, like, growing up and stuff, uh, like, I, the Try and Touch, uh, was very much inspired by going to an all-girls school in the west of Ireland. And, um, I think what I'm kind of, learning as I go along and as I kind of grow as an artist is that I feel I really want to tell these stories, um, about minorities. Um, but I'm kind of getting to a stage now where the things I'm being offered are very similar and it's about also not being pigeonholed as an artist and not always having to do the same story again and again. Um, cause I, I identify as an Asian Irish woman, but I also identify as a Claire woman. I also identify as queer so, you know, there's a lot of different facets of myself I want to explore in art. Uh, and, yeah, so I think with, with Try and Touch, it was, it was that experience. And um, and then there's other elements, like I really want to explore my Filipino heritage more, which I haven't done. And um, I think the reason for that is I've, I've just, there hasn't been any Filipino artists in Ireland that I've been able to find or other uh, actors. And so I've kind of been a bit uh scared to do that but I I feel ready now but it'll be a satisfying challenge but yeah I I would have spent a lot of summers uh in Manila in the Philippines with my mom and uh, a lot of my family's immigrated now so I'm really interested in kind of immigration stories and how that shapes your identity and this idea of like dual identity and things like that and intergenerational uh that kind of stuff so yeah a lot of personal experience um but also keeping an open mind and not boxing myself into something either.
1: Yeah, because I think like one thing I really love about your work now, like it's every piece I've seen from you has been like so different in like its own really like beautiful and unique ways. I really respect that about you as an artist. I, I think it's so. right. You're so the beautiful. best. <laughs> Stop! Oh my god. <laughs> but Martin, for you, like sort of just growing up or even now, like what has inspired you through writing, through acting, through everything like creatively?
2: Uh, well, personally, as a, just to kind of follow on what the lads were saying, just personal experience, um, just... But going back to, if we're touching on being younger, um, I remember being in school and just having a knack for writing stories. Like, I used to be grade A in my in my English class in primary and secondary. So I just always had this knack for, for this, but I was also aware of it because I'm aware that coming from my community, we're very cultural people, but also very artistic and creative on different areas. So I wasn't like, wait, what is this? Because... There's no history it him I found previous to this. It was just, I kind of knew it. Like, if you kind of know like yourself. You would always just know. You just kind of know. So I was just kind of enhancing it and growing it. And then, as I said, the radicals kind of found me at 15. And the rest is history then. Um, and I kind of really kind of found myself growing there. But I also kind of always never forgot my place. Because I was always paying homage to where I came from and paying homage to my community and family. So every time I was writing something or learning something or doing a play or doing a musical, I was always okay, this is going to be for the betterment of them. This is going to be the betterment of myself. So then when I got to writing something, I wanted to write about personal experiences, people's stories that may never have the courage to come on screen or come on camera, or even on radio, but their stories are important. So if their stories is put on a screen or put on a piece of paper, it doesn't neglect it in any kind of way. So I was, as I said, touching on the mental health and the suicide and the racism, but not also all of those pieces that I have wrote about it have all been from people that I've known. But also... The powerful pieces and and the positive pieces has also come from my community as well, like being raised up and understanding the beauty of family. My mom made me go to church every week since I was five with her, understanding the beauty of religion and understanding the beauty of family community, constant moving around, stuff like that with my mom and personal issues. So every time I'm writing now, I'm fortunate to be in the situation and the position that I am. I never forget my place, so I'm always paying homage. I'm always wanting to give artists a chance as well. If I'm writing something, I'll say, is there any up-and-coming travel directors that I know before I go in contact for another thing? Because I want to give them a shot because they get me a chance mm-hmm. to get me. So I'm always just paying homage and not feeling like I'm the golden boy or the label of the community. I'm just mm-hmm. passing the torch for the next person. It's just my time. So I always just feel like I'm. the stories that I write and the productions that I take part in is paying homage to them. It's paying homage to where I came from. And if I get to write something that can inspire someone, then great, but I'm just paying homage as as an artist to the community and that's what i like to do
1: mm-hmm. so on that like note of just being like almost like the token traveler like the token minority i said do you do you find it like do you find like taking opportunities like that do you sort of stray away from art do you like step into it so how would you navigate that when you feel like you're in that position
2: am um, i suppose touching on what you said and not being pigeon-toed and and, and being like cast or typecast I approach it differently. I'm well aware, as I said, of, of going forward, and you might get the call because of, you're, from the, you're from the community. But I also want to be took serious as an actor. And, and if I was ever to go forward in productions, i say, I'm an actor. I'm not a traveler actor. When I apply for something or I send a self-tape, I'm saying, I'm an actor. I'm a writer. Have a look at my script. Can you correct it? I'm not putting myself forward as this. This is just who I am. So this comes with the job of doing this, that you come as this label but I want to be represented. And many of the artists now want to be represented as their own artists, not just trying to get by on being that. I can only speak on my own experience, but the artists that is coming through now in music and in acting and in sports very much want to be their own people. They want to pay homage to it, but they're well aware they're in 2023 in in how the culture and the world and the country perceives them. They're well aware of it. They want to pay homage to it, but they also want to be their own person. And I think that might is an issue going forward for some identity as an artist instead of just being labeled as an actor or a singer from a certain community. Some of them want that as well, but some of them also just want to be their own artist. Yeah. Like when I can only speak on my own experience, and I want to be representative of that, but very much my own person, yeah. and credited on that only. Yeah.
1: So like I'll go to Rehan next, actually. So sort of on this like topic of like being like the token minority or things like that, do you ever feel like a certain pressure when you're put on a platform to like represent your community in a certain light?
5: Um yeah you definitely do feel a pressure uh but I think it's just about being as authentic as honest as you can um you know your your experiences are your experiences, and all you can do is just talk about them honestly um i i don't necessarily all especially with my work have an objective um you know one of the things I think most artists most writers hate the question of what what does your work mean you know, what or what's the underlying message and sometimes you don't you don 't have an underlying message you 're just trying to express a certain feeling you know you just you, you catch a certain emotion and then you you write and as a writer sometimes i don 't like to overthink about my work and what it means so So I never have this kind of objective to to you know have this message that I need to get out there so because of that, it does ease up on the pressure because i 'm just a writer and I just want to make my art. And it's inevitably going to have to uh, have incorporated some of my own experiences because that's even if I were to do something extremely different in science fiction and you know otherworldly, there would still be some reflection of of me and who I am and what my experiences have been so it's just about letting letting that happen naturally and not overthinking um, so But when it comes to being pigeonholed as as we've talked about. Um, When the opportunity does arise where I feel like, okay, I'm being reached out to just because I am, you know, this token person in their eyes. um, I look at what the opportunity is and I look at how I can utilize that opportunity. And I look at what kind of control I have within the situation, the scenario. So these people may have reached out to me simply because of who I am. But then if I look at what the opportunity is and what the work will, would be about, I see, okay, yeah, the opportunity may have come to my doorstep simply because of who I am, but I can actually utilize this, I can actually regain some control, and I can turn something that perhaps some people see as a negative, including myself, and turn it into a positive. Because those opportunities are still rare. And I know that as an artist, I know that as a writer... Um, those are so extremely rare, especially when they come with a, a dollar sign. So if they come to your doorstep with some money, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump on it, but I'm going to make sure that I have some control so that I can turn it into something that's authentic, that's honest. Because if, if not me, it'll probably some, be somebody else. And you don't know uh, what the end result will be. So if I'm on board, at least I'll have some control on what the end result is. I'll have my input. And I'll fight for my input. I'll fight for that control. I'll fight for a, an end product that is authentic, that is honest, that isn't forced, that, isn't, you know, that doesn't portray me as this token, but portrays me with someone who was at the helm of this project. Uh, and so I think that's... So that's why I don't necessarily feel that pressure. Uh, maybe earlier on I did, but not now, uh, because I've had some rough experiences, but through those rough, rough experiences, I've learned so much. So now I know that, okay, this project is coming to my doorstep, Um, it comes with some money, I'm going to make sure I can do my best uh, to portray myself as a capable person. That's why I'm doing this. I I have talent, I have work ethic, I am capable, I have shown my ability. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it simply because I'm the right color or I have the the past experiences that they're looking for. Um, So, yeah, so like Haven, uh, which is uh, being shown tomorrow... Uh, the way that mo connell and ivan kush reached out to me is they didn't want just a check to say okay this 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 story that we've written have has direct provision representation in it so oh we need someone on board that you know will give us this pass they came to me with the bones of the script and said we want you on board as a co-writer we don't want you as as someone who just gives us this pass you will be on this on this project as a co-writer and it was my first time having professionals like that reach out to me and offer me, you know, not to just look over a script and say, is this okay? No, they said, right from the get-go, we want you as a co-writer, we want you part of our team, we want you to write this with us. So when opportunities like that arise, you know, it's, it's important to, to make the best use of them. That's what I think, but... Yeah, I think when you're younger and when you're newer in the industry, you definitely do feel that pressure. But it gets better with experience. You just need to, you will you know, you, sometimes you'll look back and you'll, you'll think, oh, God, why did I do that? I have those experiences. I, and it's like, oh, the, I was utilized, I was made use of, and that's inevitable. But, you know, you learn from them, you grow, and, and you take those experiences with you, and it makes you into a better ar- artist, a better writer, um, a more capable person. Uh, so I'm grateful for all of that, Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. I feel like I was learning a little something, too. <laughs> um, so I think, like, my next question, sort of for everyone, like, with the Irish film industry at the moment, it's a very exciting time, obviously, with all the Oscar bows, like, on Colleen Kuhn, uh, an Irish goodbye, Banshees of an even in television, we got normal people, so conversations with friends. So the Irish industry is really popping off, but... I know there's been, like, quite a bit of criticism about, like, still the lack of diversity within, like, these sort of bigger productions and within these, like, bigger stories. So with the future of Irish film, like, where, what do you guys want to see improve or, like, get better? So I'll give that to Elizabeth first. Give to Elizabeth first.
4: Um, yeah, it is a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time to be coming out of, like, college as well, because you're just getting into the swing of things. Um... I think for me, it's just seeing, and I know that we've talked about this before when we were um, did the did something for Catalyst for a, a Black and Irish podcast as well. It's just seeing opportunities, like seeing, like having a even the, the Catalyst Film Festival, something like this that puts diversity at the forefront is so amazing and just having like you know more grants and more sort of programs with that goal in mind because if it's hard as enough as it is just getting out there and doing and getting your work out there getting it seen and without having you know some of those things on the side but when you see programs that are out there to encourage people it feels like okay i can really really do this not to say that it does not to say that you can't do it without it it's you know it's just one step harder, but once you know that people are really on board with this and that there are opportunities out there and it's not just this huge 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 like uphill battle it really does add um a little bit of um what's the word I want to say grace, not grace um a little bit of support to you to know that there are systems out there that want you. That want you on board so it's definitely funding it's definitely having more programs more and uh, more programs like this that um that support diverse work that support diverse writers that give people ins um, where it's just so hard to get in in the first place and um, that's definitely what i want to see for the irish sort of like film and tv industry
1: so I think even on that sort of with what you're saying, like with things like Catalyst and I know like me and Nell had met like West studios and stuff, it's also about, I think it's also like partly about like finding like like-minded people or people with yeah, similar absolutely. experiences too. So like Nell, for you, I think like what was that process like working with Bridget when you were writing like Good Chips and sort of finding someone who you could like relate to? How did that differ from work in the past?
3: Yeah, like, uh, Good Chips was the first time I co-wrote, um, and I loved it. Like, Bridget and I are currently writing a feature film based on Good Chips, so uh, it's just... And I'm also trying to write a feature film on my own, and I think comparing those experiences, when you have that community and that support, and there's someone else in the room who's as passionate about the project as you are, it makes everything so much easier, but it also brings the project to a next level, because you're, you know, more brain power, all that. But... um it's it's really nice. I like. I think. I totally agree. Like the catalysts, the wefts uh, of you know of the world, they help make the industry so such an exciting place for, for people like us to be to be entering. and it has. It, it's never been a, a more exciting time or better time for uh, female filmmakers, POC filmmakers. You, know, you know, but um, I, that that all comes from the top down, and I think it's really important that uh, you know diversity and inclusion is put at the forefront. So with with Virgin Media. Like that was a remit of that whole scheme. It had like diversity and inclusion was you know how they judged it in a way, and um, and I think like institutions need to take risks sometimes um, and not be like with Virgin Media, like they they took a chance on us from their I'd say business strategy point of view. But like a Good Chips aired uh, on Virgin Media on like a Thursday night at eleven p.m and like the worst time you could be mm-hmm. broadcasting but we ended up the the figures came in the next day and we had 32,000 people watching this short film about My this mom was one of them nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like watching this short film about a you know this minority group and it kind of just goes to show even from a business point of view like people audiences want new stories they want um they want to see faces that haven't been shown before and just because a story is about a group that you don't belong to it doesn't mean that you can't relate to or have empathy for you know their stories so uh, like it's yeah it's incredibly important and the likes of catalyst is really instrumental in like building that foundation yeah
1: so martin like i know for you you do like a lot of like activism work within the traveling community as well how do you find sort of like bridging that the arts or something that may seem like non-traditional into like a career for other young travellers as well
2: um, I would think too, as I said before when people seen John on Love Hate, mm-hmm. I'm not always going back to him but it just really did change a lot for them there was always writers, there was always actors from the community, uh, we were always good at it, we just never had opportunities for a long long time and that's the brutal cold truth of it because I met so many during the years and even going back to my parents' time and they were telling me they met so many amazing storytellers, so many amazing singers that never got anywhere and was probably happy and content in it because at the time in the world that they lived in, they knew that their talent wasn't going to be properly utilized. So they probably accepted and beauty shared in the peace and the grace of just sharing it with their family and singing at fires or reading the stories that they would write to their children to help them sleep at night. Stuff like this and saving the stories and passing it on to the children as they would grow up in the site or or whatever. So stuff like this. But I think going forward, and just to answer the two questions in one, what I would love to see firstly is to see the community given proper opportunities. But what I would like to see them is to see the community's actors accepted as actors, given opportunities on acting ability alone. I would love to see them championing the community always every single time and they never forget where they came from but I would love to see them given opportunities going forward as a chance to just to be ordinary actors but I would also love to see bursaries for local local communities I'm in the process at the minute of doing a documentary with Queen Ireland and with the Dublin embassy about discrimination and the amount of talent there like cause there's four other ones being shot at the same time from different minorities and cultures and backgrounds and it's just the amount of talent and the amount of enthusiasm that I've seen on the IEDT campus is just incredible. And even down in Kerry and in Cork, so everyone wants to get involved in the acting industry. And exactly as you said, capitalizing on the Oscars coverage, everyone wants to be an actor. So many people are writing and have the confidence to come forward with it now, that I would love to see every county council give a bursary to see local artists from their, from that county create short films and create it and put it to film festivals all over Ireland. That's my goal. Not just, as, not just of course I'm back in my community as one, but I'm I'm back in artistry, I'm back in what I would love to see, <coughs> stories and artists, and wasted talent, If I think is the worst thing ever. So to see those people given opportunities in their local town, and not having to fear, oh god, I have to go to Dublin for it, I have to go to Cork for it, because when I was leaving college, that was an issue with myself, there was no um, acting courses available in Kerry at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I said, I'm not going on, but just giving opportunities to Kerry councils, giving opportunities to local actors and writers, to to make the short movies and to portray it in the towns and to champion that is what I would love to see.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, so I'm on my final question. So pressure on me. <laughs> um, so oh my god, my last question because I wanted to be a good one because <laughs> I was like, Eve, how are we for time? And she's like, one more question. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, so I think my final question will be. Actually, I'm gonna go for a classic. What advice would you give to your younger self trying to get into the arts? Yeah, I'm asking everyone. Martin, you stare. Oh. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> what
2: advice can I give, is it, to... Yeah,
1: your younger self or just young people trying to get to the
2: arts as well? To my younger self, I would say to go for it earlier. Mm. Um, and to artists going forward, I would tell them to follow their dream, to realise that the potential that you're told and the gift that you have and the attraction that you're being brought towards acting and writing is real there's a potential and a talent there for you to showcase it at every single opportunity because the opportunities available now is way more than ever than I was when I was coming out of school or just in secondary. So showcase it. The media and the internet is there. You have so many ways of getting your work online. Go for it and, put, and just see where it gets you. And don't be afraid. Simple. That's
1: a great answer. Nell, what advice would you have?
3: Yeah, and along very <coughs> similar lines, just have faith in your own stories. You know, I used to hate the things that made me different and made me stand out but now they're the things that actually are my greatest strength, and especially as an artist, and, yeah, just to to go for it, and, and just because you don't see someone like you who's inhabiting that space, like, you can be that person who steps up and brings other people with you, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's keeping it simple.
1: Elizabeth, you already know what my question is. Oh, my God. Anyway. Oh,
3: can you say
1: one more time? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So what advice <laughs> would you have for younger people <laughs> trying to get into the earth?
4: Um, yeah, oh my God, I feel so boring because I really, when you said that, I was like, that's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> no, but really honestly, just, I know it's so easy to say, like, have more faith in yourself, but it honestly is like, looking back on myself when I was as a little Wattpad girl, I loved, loved a bit of Me Wattpad. Um, I had many, many a story, many a chapters of stories just like sitting there unpublished and it's just a, a thin, which is not great for a writer. It's just this fear of like putting yourself out there and like, having other people see your work and criticism and just just going for it just saying like it's okay if people don't like your work it's completely fine Um, it's for some people and it's not for some people and criticism helps um so just not to be scared of putting yourself out there putting your work out there and having people say things about you and about your stuff it's it's important It, it helps you grow and yeah
1: that's what i would say to myself rehan final bit of
5: words of wisdom for the yes. youth. Well, I would repeat everything that they've all said because I agree with it wholeheartedly. But from my own experiences, what I would say, and to, to the way I felt as as a younger person, which was very confused and at crossroads, is that you can do both, you know? I got my Virgin Media opportunity while I was in my final year of neuroscience and because of COVID we couldn't start filming until much later and so we were filming just as I was starting my master's in bioinformatics and computational biology which couldn't be more different to film (laughs) completely different you know I'm doing data analysis on uh, uh, biological data in the morning and then in the evening I'm getting ready to to do all the pre-production for the shoot um so you can do both just because you're following one career path because it's understandable to be practical it's unfortunate that we live in a world where you have to be practical i wish we didn't but you do sometimes but that doesn't mean that you have to give up on what you're truly passionate about you can keep both of those things going it's difficult probably a lot of sleepless nights but you can if you're passionate about it and if it's something you enjoy then there's no reason why you can't keep going. So don't give up. If you really, really love what you do, uh, you might be doing something else academically, and you might not necessarily see a career path. It doesn't mean that you, can, you should give up. You, you know, if you love it, you can, you can still do it while you're doing all the other stuff, whether it be science or not. So that's what I would say. Just do not give up, just because if it's not necessarily as something that you see as a career, if it's a hobby it doesn't mean you gotta give up. People still play sports when they're in, in, in university. People still play video games when they're in university. You can still write, you can still create, and you never know where it can lead you. So just never, never give up.
1: You're all very inspiring people, by the way.
5: That was great, thank you guys so much.
1: Amazing, we're taking questions from the audience. So if anyone has any questions, if anyone wants to put a hand up or anything. Um, I am
0: a, I'm a writer-journalist by trade, so I'm always really interested in how other creatives get over creative blocks, because I seem to get them every second week now, and they're extremely frustrating. So do you have ways to get out of them, or do you just kind of sit with it and just leave it flow over you?
5: Um, yeah, for me, I, I kind of, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really, it's weird, but it doesn't really happen. I guess I just have so much in my head going on. It's, it's actually difficult to, to focus on one thing. I'm sorry. But it doesn't mean that it's all good. Most of it is trash. So what's difficult is trying to figure out what, what's worthwhile and what I should focus on because there's just so much going on in my head. And I know, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that most of it is garbage. So it's about figuring out what I need to throw away and what I need to keep. Um, so that's what mostly my struggle is. Um, but yeah, I, I just think about the things that, I, that brings me joy. If there's a story or an idea that really excites me that I would say, oh, I, I, I want to watch this. Then I try and focus on that and I, not, and I throw everything else away for, for that time being. So that's, that's kind of my process.
4: Oh, we all doing this? okay um, I think for me, I kind of said it before um i I do get lots a lot of creative blocks all the time, and um, I think for me it 's just allowing myself time to do the things that I love that I tell myself i don 't have enough time for, whether that be in be drawing, whether that be going to the movies, whether that be going to a gallery, just allowing myself to, like, spend time with myself and to, like, ask myself questions and to just, like, consume other people's art um, and other people's words and other people's stories. And that just always sort of, like, inspires me. And then I can come from a place where then all, like, the jumbles and whatever is going in my head starts to sort of, like, make a little bit more sense. That would be my process.
3: Yeah, I get creative blocks as well. Um, (laughs) What I do, sometimes if if whatever you're writing is not coming naturally and i'm not excited by it then i do something else there's there is a project that I, I would be excited about so there there's no shame in putting something away for a while and doing something that does make you know you excited um that being said i also i experienced creative block with this filipino um feature film i'm writing at the moment and the a big reason was that it's about Filipino nurses, and I don't know anything about nursing, uh, though I have a lot of family members who are nurses. So what I actually did was I interviewed them and I interviewed a lot of other nurses and getting their stories and their feedback, and they were all so welcoming and so generous in, in sharing their stories, brought lots of inspiration to me because it was just, you know, I think acknowledging the gaps in your knowledge and figuring out what can I read, what can I, who can I talk to who might be able to spark something in you that will bring inspiration is what I do.
2: I just kind of following what he said. I wouldn't really say I get creative block. I just Because when I get an idea in my head, the story is ready to go. I can write it and just... If something pops in my head, I have to write it on the paper. Otherwise, I'll forget it. And that's happened to me so many times. I have so many lost stories where you're in a bad situation that you can't write it down and you're like, oh God, what was that again? So I like to nourish the story as well. If an idea comes to me, I'll maybe write... I always have the beginning and the ending when something pops in my head. And for me, the hardest part is then filling it in and not giving away the plot too early as well, because you're so excited to get, oh, God, the main encounter, or you want people to see the core of the story, but you have to learn and nourish it slowly, because I've learned that as well from my experience with screenwriting, to never give it away too early, because I've done that as well. Maybe you're into a short, and you're writing seven or eight pages, and you're like, maybe wait until 12 or 13 to execute it properly, and that's the art that I would say on that topic that I need to get better on, learning how to nourish the story. And how to make it a bit longer and what way to kind of wait until you drop the main plot and how to ease into that and the professionalism in that I think is a thing that I would love to address so that would be my answer on that but no it does happen if I'm coming for theatre not so much because I kind of have a thing in my head that I like to improvise so if I'm performing on theatre I maybe write four or five keywords, and you might have a 15 minute slot and I will go out and I make a whole performance on those five words because it's in the moment it's in the feeling and that's when I can do it just on my own experience
1: any more questions oh we've got a few questions i'll go to sandrine over
4: there i um, really loved um your panel discussion um so as a fellow creative i kind of wanted to ask in regards to with a lot of the stuff in regards to like how there's like misrepresentation and lack of diversity a lot of the times i found myself with any of my creative work is kind of having to show the humanity of the minority groups that you're showing but like By doing that, then, you are kind of like falling into that trap of being like, you know, like, see my story, value my story. So kind of like, how do you guys kind of navigate like really showing these stories without falling into that trap being like, my story is important, you have to listen to it. Just in the sense of like, we're humans, like just, we should be kind of valued um, in that sense. Like, have you kind of found difficulty in that when you're um, highlighting the stories that you're talking about?
2: Um, Well, just pass on that. Um, I would say a mixture of both. I would say, um, and just to follow up on the Ireland the show that I did, which is on the player, it was directed by Bobby Zatello, who is an up-and-coming amazing Zimbabwean director. And the work that got to do with him and what I learned from him and his way of approaching directing was a completely different way that I've learned from working on theatre directors or working with the director of the, the Connors Academy, Kim Bartley. Um, so it, it's about appreciating that art and appreciating that he's coming from a background where he feels that he needs to rise up and and be a hero for his community. Just like I was feeling that for my community, or you feel like he's saying about the Filipinos and people breaking forward and wanting to be heroes of their stories because they feel victims, but they also feel empowered by it and they're not ashamed of it and they want to be good representatives going forward. So I think it's finding a nice mixture. I would say depends on the production and whatever you're taking part in. And as he said about being pigeon as well, Depends if that's been too much put into the particular production that they only want you there because you're from this or you're from that. But I would say everyone that delivers their own importance, everyone who's brought into the public light for their community is there for themselves, but they're also there as a figure of the community. And I just think it's a nice way of becoming your own artist, but also staying true to that no matter what, so that you're known for that, but you're not known for that at the same time and finding a way of doing it.
3: Yeah, I I have a story that might be relevant, but I, I think not only about acknowledging yourself. At the end of the day, you're human. You know, you can't take on all these things by yourself. But um, so for Good Chips, the the lead actor is this 13 year old girl um, Ellie, and she's an amazing actor. But there was a scene where we had to make her cry, and at the end of the day, you do have to step back and be like, this is a film. You know, this is you can't push this you know young girl to the point of like making her upset or like like being like emotionally exploitative or anything like that and so for the project I was actually mentored by by Lenny Abramson and I I went to Lenny I was like what what do I do I don't want to take advantage of this human for the sake of this story and Lenny was like use a tear stick I use a tear stick all the time in oral people and it's like I think what what's nice about the industry is like as we have a responsibility to tell our stories and tell our stories correctly we also have a responsibility to learn the craft and there is tips and tricks and that's why mentors are so important that's why courses are so important because there is ways to get the same effect that you want without ever putting people in positions that they never need to be in so that's kind of i hope that kind of answers your question yeah
4: um, I think personally, I haven't been in a situation yet where it's been, where I've really felt like I like really, really need to represent um, myself or my community in a certain way. I don't know. I think for me, it's just the story that I've written is the story that I've written. And um, I mean, hopefully I wouldn't want to be representing anyone in a bad way. But it, at the end, it's just I'd like to take it as a person. Um, who's going through a situation and it 's not indicative or representative of like every single person that looks like this person, do you know what I mean and I think um taking pressure off yourself whether that 's an easy thing to say or do i don 't know but like because i because you 're not a poster person for um everybody and for every story you can only do what you can do and you can only write and make the story that you want to make well hopefully you get the you get the um The power to like make what it is that you want to make. You're not being tossed here and there by producers and whatnot. But yeah, I think you just have to kind of like let yourself just sit in the fact that this is the story. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. It doesn't have to be like a big game changer for everyone. It's just a story, and uh, stories are really powerful. But they can also just be that as well. Do you know?
5: Yeah, I I completely agree with uh, Elizabeth. Um, For me, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, When it's my own work, I just try not to overthink it because that always kind of wrecks everything. So I try not to overthink about... You know oh, am I doing the right thing here, or am I representing myself and my community correctly because i don 't write a story in order to represent myself or my community and again is is just going to be an inherent part of my work i won't it 's almost impossible for me to avoid it, but I always have an exciting story that I want to tell, so I just focus on that so i don 't i don 't try and overthink about you know how i'm i 'm representing my community it 's just oh, this story excites me. It incorporates you know, my, my own experiences, which, again, is inevitable. But it's, it's not necessarily about, again, a specific message that I'm trying to send. It's just a story that excites me, and I want to be able to write about it. Uh, and so I try not to overthink. But, again, if you're working with someone else, or someone else reaches out to you, it's, again, uh, I can't stress this enough, it's about gaining some sort of ownership and making sure you have some sort of control because you do not want to be tokenized. When it comes to your own work, you know you know better than anyone else about yourself. So you don't have to think too much. I would say just don't overthink. But when it comes to other people, you just need to have the foresight to be able to say, to, to see that, you know, okay, I need to make sure that I have some control here because I don't want to be utilized. I don't want to be a check mark. So that's what I would say. That would be my advice.
0: So did you find going from neuroscience to film that there was any, even within yourself or just resistance to that?
5: Um, I don't want to stereotype, but my mother's brown. (laughs) (laughs) She's brown, she's Asian, so yes, there was a lot of resistance. But um, it's because I showcased that, you know, I I am doing both. And and at the end of the day, she is my mother, so she, she recognized that this is something that I love. So she didn't... And as, soon, as long as I was still doing what I was doing, um, if, I, if I one day uh, got up and said, you know, I don't want to finish my neuroscience course, I don't want to finish my master's in bioinformatics, there'd be a lot more resistance. But because I was keeping that going and I was still doing the film um, stuff on, on... I wouldn't I would ever say it's on the side because it's my main passion, uh, and I was still making some steps ahead in, in, in that career. She was kind of... She was happy and she was proud of, of everything. Um... But I think what, if you come to a position where you feel some sort of resistance, you can't think about other people because that's something that now I look back on certain decisions and I wish that I had just focused on what I wanted and what my desires were. And I may have made some other steps. Um, I'm extremely grateful to have um, somewhat of a career in the scientific industry. But I, 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 you know, there's certain things I may have probably changed. But... So if you get to a position where you feel a little bit of resistance, it's important to focus on what you want and where you, s- you see yourself in the future. Because if you're going down a path where you know you, you feel like, as you said, you were doing physics and engineering.
2: Oh, yeah, but I was planning on doing physics and engineering, but I changed my
5: mind. Yeah, see, like, that's completely different uh, from film. But you know, clearly you didn't love it enough to, to keep it going, and that's absolutely okay. If you do not love something... You don't have to... you know. There's no point in moving forward with it. The only reason I moved forward with, with science is because I genuinely loved it. I loved science, and I, lo- I still love science, and that's why I did it. And I love film even more than that. That's why I keep that going. So as long as you love what you're doing... You just need to focus on that. If you ever fi- find yourself falling out of love or forcing yourself to do something, that's the only time where you'll feel that resistance within yourself. Then you do have to take a step back and say, okay, this is clearly not for me. I need to focus on what makes me happy. Um, so that's what, that would be my advice there.
3: Thank you. Um, I was sort of wondering, especially like as you're very, very early on entering into filmmaking, putting your scripts forward and stuff, when you're trying to seek like feedback and guidance from people that don't necessarily share or understand your marginalization, do you instead turn to try and find people that would understand better and that you would maybe have to search and they might not have time or you maybe go to the people who are available and like reachable and close but don't understand and might maybe, make suggestions that follow the way things are done but aren't ultimately appropriate for what you're trying to do. Does that make sense?
5: I'll let someone else answer this. Um,
4: I think that makes sense. Um, I think for me, it's ultimately going towards people whose opinions I trust, Um, whether that be that they're in the industry or not in the industry. Um, and I guess there is that thing about, like, the marginalization, but I think it also depends on the subject matter of the thin of the story or the script or whatever that I'm trying to push. If it's something that is very heavily centered around, you know, those sort of experiences, then, yeah, it would be helpful to get the opinion of someone that could understand that. But as well as that, um, I think every single person has their own sort of view, and it's very um, important to get different perspectives because some people can see different things. Um, in a piece. So I think it's just striking the balance of first going to someone that you trust, whose opinion you trust. Like there's someone you can trust and they can be amazing, but they might not necessarily have the um, vocabulary or the understanding to be able to give you um, good advice on what you've written. Um, So I think ultimately it is just someone whose opinion you would trust. And if it is a case where what you've written deals with a very specific subject matter, someone who has um, information, who has a background in that as well. So I think it's very just sort of subject dependent as well.
3: Yeah, I think a bit, touching a bit on what Rehan talked about in terms of like choosing a good producer or choosing the people on your team, it's really, it's really important in a way because like you will eventually have to, you know, be in contact with people who will make your film and get help get it made but aren't necessarily sharing in in your experience and you notes are a part of um making films and know that you don't ever have to take on a note you know just because someone says it maybe if like 10 people say it you can listen to it but like you know trust your gut i would say and um like what's really interesting i've been finding is like the there's a lot of um lot more POC um, writers and directors and creatives, but there isn't so many producers or there isn't so many people kind of who are in the business side of things. So I think it's important to um, choose those people wisely based on like what they know in the industry, but also like um, I've never worked with a a non-white Dublin-based producer, but they've they've always been very supportive of... um, issues that I do bring up or themes that I do bring up about being from a marginalized group. And I think if you choose your team wisely, they'll support you in that and they'll respect you that and they'll listen to you because their, their heart's in the right place and, and they know the story's important. So um, yeah, that's my advice on that.
2: Yeah, no, just following up on what Nella was saying, I couldn't agree with her. Couldn't agree with her more. Um, it's just about trusting your team as well, but it's also the person that you send it to you have to have different opinions and expectations. Like if you're sending something to a friend of yours, but he's not in the industry at all, but you trust him, and what Elizabeth was saying. You're going to value their opinion, but you're not going to take it on a personal level because the person that you want a personal opinion from is the one that you trust or the one that's been inspired to you in the industry or maybe someone who put you in the industry. Like on my own experience, Neil Flynn is a, a local writer from Kerry who's gone on to pretty successful things now with BBC he would have been a bit inspiration for myself, getting me involved in The Radicals, getting me to, read, to have a review of my first script. So whenever I was doing something or I was writing something, I was seeking their approval. People I know, people I can turn to. But when I'm sending it to producers or directors, I'm also expecting and appreciating their opinion. I'm not going to get annoyed about it and say, oh, he doesn't like my story. God, who is he to say that? No because I know I'm sending it to people who have a lot more years of experience in this industry, so I'm delighted and to be privileged to receive their opinion. But if I'm giving it to a friend of mine who has who don't do this industry or don't do the work that I do, I'm going to take it on board, but I'm not going to let it alter my overall opinion. I let it filter me, but I'm not going to let it alter my opinion. And that's some things that you have to be careful with as well, because you might be offended to maybe disagree if you give it to a friend, because you might not like their opinion, but you might like want to say it. And that might cause bridges with yourself. So I would say be very careful and trustworthy who you give it to and to trust in their opinion and to not let it alter the actual work, is what I would say, because that's important as well.
1: Okay, so that's the end of our panel for today. Thank you all very much for coming. And thank you so much to Rehan, Elizabeth, Nell, and Martin for, like listening to me chat and answering all my questions I hope they weren't too hard and thank you guys for having such fabulous questions as well and just for being an amazing audience and listening so attentively so thank you very much and that is us done
0: This podcast release has been made possible with the support of Screen Ireland Find out more about this inclusive festival at com.